Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. I just wanted to let you know that when I do the coming attractions at the end of the show after the interview, I don't always include all the opening films especially if it's the showing of a one-night live event or an anniversary showing for a special popular series. I pretty much cover all the main movies and the highlights of the streaming features for the week. Somebody ran in my office. Oh, no, they're running Alien in the projection booth. And I was like, well, I'm kind of busy. He's like, Ridley's in there. So like work stopped and everybody just goes into the projection booth for Aliens. And for the first 40 minutes of the film, Ridley's just doing a running commentary. The Ridley he's referring to is Ridley Scott, director of Alien. And he is Richmonder Rex Tees, who's worked in the editing department for major films and TV series, from Black Hawk Down to The Walking Dead World Beyond. This interview also features a surprise drop-in from Barry Privet, frontman for Carbon Leaf. And since Rex dropped a lot of names, not to be impressive, but just to tell the stories, there are quite a few footnotes in this episode. Sifter, review of the week. Boston Strangler. On Hulu, Kiera Knightley plays a Boston reporter relegated to the society desk at a 60s Boston newspaper. When she notices similarities in a string of murders, she pitches the idea and eventually writes the stories that breaks the case of the titular killer. Much like She Said, a movie which came out last year and heralded the Harvey Weinstein case, this film attempts to make an effective drama about reportage. There are a few fringe moments of the killer's attacks, but they're more suggested than violent. Otherwise, it's Knightley's character fighting to be heard in the male-dominated newspaper world while researching the reports and juggling her home life. Much like she said, the direction lacks much tension, and this is more a procedural documentary than a tense thriller. I gave it two out of five stars. So Rex Tees, obviously, as you know, I had Andy Edmonds, the head of the film office, on a couple weeks ago, and he told the story about you starting as the parking lot attendant and now being a big time editor. So what is your side of that story? How much did he get right and how much did he elaborate on? I would not say I'm big time editor, um, but it's close to what he said. So I was going to be a physical education teacher. I just didn't enjoy it. So um, I kept my job at the Commonwealth Club that I had all through college. And at that point, I was trying to figure out how to get into films. And I didn't know how easy it was. The guy who ran the club, Mr. Meyer, pointed me towards Kirk Schroeder, who was a member at the time. Footnote. Kirk Schroeder is Virginia's most prominent entertainment attorney. And there's a link to my podcast with him on the page for this show. I picked up Kirk in the club van one night from the Carpenter Center and talked to him for the five-minute drive back to the club, and he said, you should talk to the film office. So went to the film office, and they brought me in as an intern. So I worked there for about nine months or so, and then a Dave Matthews video was filmed here in Richmond, and they loaned me out to the Dave Matthews video. And then shortly after that, Legacy started filming here. Footnote. Legacy was a TV series that was shot in Virginia in the late 1990s. I got a job on Legacy as office PA. Me and the production manager did not get along at all. She was getting set to fire me, and I'd been hanging around the editorial department. They're like, no, 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 we'll take them, we'll take them. So you weren't going in with the intent of being an editor. You just wanted to be in the business, and you just ended up in editing. At that point in 98, 99, getting into editorial was not cheap. It was, you know, those oh, systems yeah. were $100,000, yeah, right. and getting time on them was tough. So to their credit, the guys on Legacy, they let me edit whenever I wanted to. They would have to kick me off the machine 
one scene that I edited got into one of the shows. Oh, great. Like with like no changes, which was nice. And then I was working down at New Millennium Studios. Footnote. New Millennium Studios was established in 1997 by Tim and Daphne Reed in Petersburg, Virginia. Working on something because they had a light work system and I was the only one to know how to run it. And Bronco Lustig was scouting for Hannibal. Footnote. Hannibal was a 2001 sequel to Silence of the Lambs, directed by Ridley Scott. And I ran to the studio to talk to them. They brought their editorial team, which was Pietro Scalia. Footnote. Editor Pietro Scalia was Oscar nominated for Gladiator and won for Black Hawk Down. But they had to hire a local apprentice editor, and I was the only person in town with a guild card. So oh, wow. they had to hire me. So they had a projector for the dailies. Footnote. Dailies are the raw, unedited footage, usually shot the day before, and they're usually reviewed by the filmmakers the next day. And it was like this thing, you could pick it up. It was heavy, but you could pick it up. It was transportable, and you could show dailies in a room the size of a large bedroom, as opposed to having to get a trailer. So they taught me how to use that projector. Black Hawk Down filmed in Morocco, and then they went back to L.A., and they asked me to come out and apprentice on that show. Footnote. Ridley Scott directed Black Hawk Down in 2001 about a U.S. military mission. What was your actual job on Black Hawk Down? I was an apprentice editor. So, you know, basically keeping the editor's books together, their, their line scripts, and occasionally getting lunch. And so I was only supposed to be there for like eight weeks or something. And then Pietro, the editor, had met with me at the beginning of my last week and said, look, you know, we said eight weeks. It's been eight weeks. It's been great having you here, but we just don't have the money in the budget anymore to keep you on. And then on Wednesday, they changed our release date from after Christmas to before Christmas. Like on Wednesday afternoon, Pietro walked in my bay and was like, what I said earlier, forget about it. You're going to be here till Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Surprise guest drop in. Now, I want to get onto some more of the Hollywood stuff and some of the TV stuff you've done, but somebody wanted to drop in because I think there's another part of your life that you do. Who is this surprise guest here? Oh, hey, Barry. Footnote. Barry Privet is the lead singer for Carbon Leaf, and Terry Clark is a guitarist and engineer for the band. I can't even remember. When was that? Back in the Circuit City days and the AMF bowling days, Barry was one of my actors. He acted back in the day. Most people Acting. didn't. Yes. I didn't get to bowl at all either. It was fun having you do that. And actually, you have a connection with Rex. What's that all about? Terry's here, too. We're in the studio, actually, um, doing some doing some mixing. But um, Hey, Barry. Terry, hey, Terry, 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 Terry. Hey, Terry. Hey, Terry. How you doing? Yeah, Rex is always the one that reminds us from time to time that we need to actually uh, video ourselves in our career. And <laughs> we say, good idea. Let us know what we can do. And he usually comes out with something cool. And um, we've done a couple projects together and are better off for it. <laughs> so these are actually, are you editing or directing too? What are you doing on these, Rex? I had an office at In Your Ear and they had Carbon Leaf come in and play like a customer appreciation night. Footnote. In Your Ear is Richmond's largest recording studio since being opened in 1990. At that point, I had two DV cameras. I'm like, well, if they're playing in the studio, I'll just throw some cameras up. So we ended up like doing a four camera shoot. And that's how I met Barry. Terry, I knew from Legacy when he was doing the initial ADR, helping with additional ADR sessions with In Your Ear. And then years later, we decided to do it again. And this time they went and they recorded... What I found out later would be 27 songs. 
wow. in, a, in a beach house. They did 27 songs live in four days, recording wow. audio and multiple takes and everything. So we ended up cutting that together in like a two hour and 40 minute long Blu-ray. So Bear, what do you remember about doing all that with him? What were some of the things that Rex brought to this that made it better or worse for that matter? Come on, let's get dirty here. <laughs> well, I mean, the proof's kind of in the pudding, you know, I mean, he's each project. He's like, oh, no, I'm not I'm not directing or anything like that. I'm just I'll just edit. No, but of course, he's got a director's eye and, you know, and, and know, knows what he wants as an editor. Plus, he's a friend and fan of the band and he knows the materials. Before we did those, I would go through and I would like just load up my playlist for like three or four weeks. And that's been like carbon would be the only thing I would be playing in the car in the house or whatever. It annoyed my family immensely because I kept listening to the same stuff over and over <laughs> again. Not because they thought it was terrible. It's because they're like, this is like the ninth time you played this today. I know that feeling Marco bitch about that. Yeah. When I'm editing in here, he'll say, I've heard that 20 times already. Yeah, it happens. He alluded earlier to how we, um, we kind of said, Oh, we want to do this project. And then when we kind of show up and we have you know, maybe 10 times more work than, than we might've led on or he anticipated. So I will say he's, he's incredibly patient and gracious with his time. There's been a few times where he's actually, we've kind of run out of our time together to work on stuff and he's got to go up to Boston or somewhere else and work on an official shoot. And then he's kind Kind of you know working after hours or early trying to get some stuff in for us and all that so i don't think we could have gotten that any, through anybody else so we're we're yeah. lucky there to be able to have the relationship with somebody like that it's you know he can tell us hey i've got to go do actual real work for a few months and then we'll get back to this and then we can say okay now that we're back to this but we've got to go on tour for a couple months so we'll reconvene after christmas and we'll actually finish this thing you know and, <laughs> It's nice to yeah. be able to have that flexibility and that friendliness. The one thing I will say is working with these guys has ruined me for like going to concerts now because I'm so used to being behind the stage or like just where, you know, the music quality may not be as good because the speakers are facing in the wrong direction. But being in the back of the stage watching the show is a much better show. I think my wife and I at the time had been dating about six or seven months and the guys were playing their annual Christmas show. And I was like, we're going to go to a Christmas show. And she's like, all right, great, fine, sure. And we're sitting there watching the show. We're like 20 feet from the bass player. And if we stepped one step forward, you could see us from like out in the audience. Right. And my wife kind of goes, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How is Carbon Leaf doing these days? Good. We just finished a big U.S. tour. Uh, you know, the fall is kind of our time to tour the country. And, and then the winter time we write and then we kind of record in the spring and, and summer and then go out with something in the fall. We're in the mixing stages now of the uh, thing that we wrote. Uh, and um, hopefully we'll have that for the fall. But yeah, things are going great. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank y'all for dropping in. This is a nice little surprise. Give us a different aspect of Rex's life and good luck with the new projects y'all are working on, all the music and the videos and everything. You got a lot going on. Thank you. And and it's great that you're doing the podcast. I saw an email recently about that, that you were you know doing stuff. And also it's cool to be a part of this. Thank you, gentlemen. Jerry. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll catch right, up. Talk with you soon. Bye-bye. So let's go back to Black Hawk Down while you were there. Did you actually get to interact with Ridley Scott at all, or were you just in a little oh, dark yeah. room somewhere? No, Ridley is a really nice guy. He's like, despite whatever reputation he may have had in the 80s for being slightly volatile, he's, he is the most laid back, chill person ever. Like, I had to make him coffee. Having not, not a coffee drinker, I did not know how to use an espresso machine. And my first day there, I was the only person there in the beginning, and I had to make him coffee. And I didn't know how to use a 
espresso machine. So I don't either. To Pietro, the editor had to like come in, show me how to do it because he's wondering where the coffee was. And then we get back into the edit bay, and Ridley's like, "What happened?" He's like, "Rex doesn't know how to make coffee," and he just started laughing. <laughs> he, thought, he thought it was funny. We were sitting there one day and one of the other assistants ran in and uh, we knew that the Egyptian was having a, a retrospect of all of his films at the time and that he was checking the prints. But somebody ran in my office. Oh, no, they're running aliens in the in the projection booth. And I was like, well, I'm kind of busy. He's like, Ridley's in there. So like work stopped and everybody just goes into the projection booth for aliens. And for the first two reels, so like the first 40 minutes of the film, Ridley's just doing a running commentary. Oh, wow. Not a lot of people know, but the reason we have director's cuts on DVD originally was because not many directors, like four or five, have final cut, you know, and right. even Ridley's not one. Most studios will give him deference, but he still does not have final cut. But he negotiated getting final cut for a director's cut and businesses being businesses. They're like, if we can make people double dip, fantastic. And then he was like, I want to do commentary for it. So he would start doing the commentary and all of his commentaries are great. And that's how I learned. Like I didn't go to film school. So like a lot of what I know was from buying DVDs and listening to the commentaries. And so yeah, working for him for two movies was what I learned on that stuff. I would not have learned anywhere else. The second one was Gladiator? It was Hannibal first and then Blackhawk. But Gladiator, they filmed the director's commentary for Gladiator in your ear while he was doing Hannibal here. So we got to sit in on that. So that was a lot of fun. So the most recent thing you've worked on is Kevin Can Fuck Himself, which ran for two seasons on AMC, will not be continued again. What did you do on that? So first off, it was a two-year run by design. So they only wanted to do... The oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So, yeah, it was, by, it was by design. It's a 45-minute drama. 30 minutes of it is your standard single-camera drama. 15 minutes of it is a sitcom. And not everybody likes how it, it intermixed. I, I thought it was a pretty brilliant idea. So they had the uh, editor, this guy, Joe Fulton. He came in from LA, and he was there for the multicam shoot. And he, he and I shared an office. When season two rolled around and they were going to do remote dailies, Joe called me up and he said, I know you're not doing the dailies this year. Do you want to be my multi-camera assistant? So I got to work on the show to finish it out. I was in Richmond logging into a computer in L.A. and I uh -huh. was assisting for him on the multi-camera side. So I got to learn how to do multi-cam. On all these shows you've worked on, have you gotten a chance to actually edit any sequences like you did on that first one a little bit? No, because I, was, because I wasn't technically an assistant editor. Although on when I was doing multi-cam on Kevin Kinnep himself, I did edit one scene. I asked the editor if I could put one together. And he's like, yeah, sure. So I did edit one scene. And as far as I know, he made some changes to it. But like most of the work that I did got in and then we got to do the gag reel for the show too which was a lot of oh, fun that's so, fun now yeah. you mentioned earlier that you're in the union how did you get in the union because everybody thinks of ISCs. okay those are the guys that do all the technical you know yeah. grips and the gaffers and all that stuff so i'm in uh, 700 local 700 which is national for editors i think there's only a couple of national locals cinematographers is one editors is the other there's several different ways to go in you, you put in enough time as uh, as a production assistant in post-production and you can build your hours and you can do it that way. I got my union card because the show went union. Since the editors were from Canada, they were not in the union, but our assistant editor was. We're a right to work state, so we were just working non-union. And then the Editors Guild came in and offered the editors membership. So I got in too. I think I paid a hundred bucks to get into the union instead wow, of like a wow. thousand that would have required. So it was a no-brainer. One of the things that you worked on was the Bronx is burning. What was your responsibility on that and how did that develop? That came about because of the the dailies projection I've been doing. Um, I met a producer out in LA named Bill Johnson. I was a dailies projectionist on location for The Ring and Malibu's Most Wanted and a show called Dreamer. 
I guess he thought I was more capable um, than I may have thought I was because ESPN was doing a miniseries about the 1977 Yankees and the book called The Bronx is Burning. He hired me to come in as the as the post producer, which was kind of scary because I was way in over my head, but he, he felt I could do it. And thankfully, I pulled it off. But one of the big takeaways from that show was about being always being prepared. At that point, Bill was my friend. He'd hired me to bring it in. And uh, one of the producers was Mike Tolan, who did Dawson's Creek and, you know, all those all those shows. And the first day I'm in the office and Mike's in the office at the same time, Bill introduces me to Mike. And Mike looks at me. He's like, weren't you the projectionist on Dreamer? <laughs> and I was like, which is only which is only two years before. And I was like, yes, but on this one, I'm the post-supervisor. And Mike just kind of goes, OK. And he walks away. But about a week later, we had a we had a meeting. And one of the other producers was a man named Joe Davola. And for Seinfeld fans, crazy Joe Davola is a character. And the real Joe Davola knew the creator of Seinfeld. And that's where the name came from. Uh -huh. uh, the real Joe Davola is not crazy, but he's a very, he's a very funny guy. But we had a meeting and uh, I was supposed to be prepared for it. And I was not like, we push this till tomorrow. And everybody agreed to push it. And then Bill called me into his office about 10 minutes later and uh, he just looks at me and he goes, so after you pushed the meeting, Joe came in, looked at me and said, he's your guy and walked out the room. Oh, and I went, Ooh, I yeah. was, Bill just, Bill just looked at me and I was like, it won't happen again. He's like, okay. <laughs> and so from that point forward, it was like, it was like, it's like, all right, I am no longer a 25 year old apprentice editor. I am now a 32 year old post producer. I need to make sure this stuff gets done. And from that point forward, I made sure that every T was crossed and every I was dotted. Sure. I always had an answer. And even sometimes if my answer was, I don't know how we're going to do that yet, but I know a guy who does. I'm going to talk to him about it. So, you know, I would say I didn't know how to do things, but I would say I've got people to talk to who can, because right, even right. then it was still the digital age and we were still early on with digital. So it was right, like, right. It, was an inter it was an interesting place to be. But then like a few months later, I'm in the office and Joe walks by and he makes a joke. So whatever it was, you know, he came around and, and I proved that I could do the job as it went. Still um, been doing it since then. So apparently. Yeah. I mean, that was one of those fortuitous things where my career has been a steady role of one thing, like being an apprentice editor led to knowing how to do dailies, doing dailies led to knowing how to getting the job post-producing, I edited an episode of a show for National Geographic. And because I delivered the show in such a way that it cut three days out of their online time, from that point forward, I did not creatively edit another show for National Geographic for seven years, but I did online over 150 hours of television because they couldn't afford to tie me up for eight weeks on a creative edit because they needed me for this other stuff. And they would throw me like the hardest shows they had. Tell us what online editing is. When you're editing a show, you're usually using lower res footage and temp titles and temp. Um, uh, it's a rough cut, right? Stock cut, yeah. It's like, but once you lock picture, once you have your final picture, then you've got to bring in all the high res footage. You've got to put in the proper titles. You've got to make sure there's no technical glitches anywhere. Get all the sound dropped in. So you're basically packaging the show with all the high res elements to send it out for air. And because of how I handle all that stuff, they for seven years, they kept me busy about 50 days out of a year. So coming up, you have listed Tapawingo. What is that all about? A director named Dylan Orang from out in L.A. shot a movie here in 2021 called Tapawingo. I knew the production manager on it who had worked on Turn and, and Mercy Street. I asked if they needed the dailies done and then... They also knew I was an editor. So Jonathan, the production manager, said, like, well, you can also edit. So they ended up hiring me to edit the film as well. 
we had picture lock. Now we're going through and we decided to like pull some time out of it. So we're doing a little bit of a re-edit on it now. And when is that due out and where? Uh, I'm hopefully the summer. I don't know what his plans for distribution are. I know he's looking now, but hopefully the summer, I think. And then the other one that we shot uh, last June was um, a movie called Burst of Silence, which is a, a musical that was written by and stars uh, Robbie Schaefer from uh, the band Eddie from Ohio. Um, that was like a you know a, an indie film that was shot here, and then um, we're in director's cut land of that now. I think we're going to be finishing that up in the next month or so. One last question: I always like to ask everybody, as you know, what are you watching when you have time to get away from the edit? I'm watching a bunch of different things now. I'm going back and I'm watching. Uh, the, the nice thing I always tell people about my brain is that I can watch a movie and not tear it apart. Um, I have to be really bored with a film in order to start finding the problems with it. Uh, right, I watch right. a lot of stuff over and over again. Um, I've probably seen Days and Confused 30, 40 times. I love that film. <laughs> um, currently watching For All Mankind on Apple. Um, I didn't catch it the first go around, so I'm catching it the second go around. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Endeavor on PBS, which finally season eight is now on Amazon Prime. I love, I love the British TV shows. It is uh, Inspector Morse from the 80s. Oh, right, right. Um, right, right. It is his origin story. Um, and it's it. really okay. good. They usually do between three and five episodes a season. And it's it's the kind of show that I wish I could do. Um, it's just very low key and very actor driven. And, uh, and in those that, cases, the editor disappears, as they say. You don't even want to yeah. know your editor's doing anything. Yeah, it's people always ask me what kind of movies do I want to work on, and it's like it's like I would love to do movies like you know you've got mail and things like that, just where like the actors just drive everything. Right. You're just looking for the best performance and tie all the best performances together, and just let the actor kind of do the work. That's, right. That's the kind of stuff that I really like. between music stuff and that. I I love doing the drama stuff so what is the deal with the music uh, obviously you you worked on this carbon leaf are you doing other music stuff or is that just kind of your side gig with just that band i did a couple small things for bruce hornsby during the pandemic he just had some stuff he needed to like he had a couple things like single camera and all he needed to do was like the color correct and throw the audio on it but i know his i know his engineer wayne pooley so they had me do a couple small things for him I love doing the music stuff just because musicians have a creative side that I do not have. I'm not a musical. I can't play a note, but I like editing music and working with that stuff. And and like I said, it started when I was younger and I didn't have it. Nobody was doing short films for me to put together, but I had two cameras. I had friends in band. So I would, I would do that kind of stuff. And I did uh, the late Robin Thompson. They did two bees, please first album live at uh, the national. And we filmed that. And that was a blast. Footnote. Robin Thompson was a popular local musician and singer, best known for singing and co-writing the song Sweet Virginia Breeze. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving us some insight into what an editor does yeah. and what you do, Rex. Thank you very much. Rex Tease has worked in the editing department for major films and TV series. There are links to his work and Carbon Leaf on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Coming soon. In theaters. John Wick, Chapter 4. Kenner Reeves is back for more violent fighting. A good person, Zach Braff directs this drama featuring Florence Pugh, who's recovering from an accident. Also stars Morgan Freeman and Molly Shannon. The Lost King, Sally Hawkins plays an amateur historian looking to find King Richard III's grave. Also with Steve Coogan and directed by Stephen Frears. The Tutor, Garrett Hedlund plays the tutor for a rich kid, but things go dark when the student gets obsessed. The School of Magical Animals, this German import is yet another fantasy based on children's books about a land where animals talk and more. TV and streaming. Up here on Hulu, 
This is a musical rom-com set in New York City in 1999. The book is written by Stephen Levinson, who's best known for Dear Evan Hansen, with the Frozen duo writing the songs. Great Expectations, also on Hulu. This new version of the Dickens classic stars Olivia Colman as Mrs. Havisham. Rabbit Hole on Paramount Plus. Kiefer Sutherland is back for more action as a corporate spy framed by a global power. It also features VCU graduate Jason Butler Harner. The Night Agent on Netflix. A young FBI agent must stop a Russian mole in the White House, featuring Gabrielle Basso, best known as the Sun on the Big C. Succession returns for the fourth season on HBO. Yellow Jackets returns for the second season on Showtime. You know you can subscribe to this podcast on all the major services. Or you can go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast page, and there's a link. The other night, I was watching the new season of HBO's Perry Mason, and up pop Andy Umberger, who's had an extensive career as an actor in L.A., and he's next week's guest on the show. See you then. Thanks for listening. This is Jerry Williams. For more sister, including literally thousands, thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.